sister Know the water's sweet But blood is thicker Welcome to the Reformed Brotherhood. Brothers don't shake hands. Brothers gotta hug. I'm Tony. And I'm Jesse. Brother? I'm gonna have a brother? (laughs) I've always dreamed about having a brother. If you'd like to join our brotherhood, you can join our Facebook group. You can email us at reformbrotherhood at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at reformbrohood. You can also subscribe and rate us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or anywhere else podcasts are found. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, brother-in-law. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. Hey, mother. Hey, son. Hey, mother-in-law. Hey, son-in-law. So, Tony, we are in the motherland of New Hampshire. We are. We're in my parents' house, and not only is this the first time you and I are recording face-to-face, but my mother is here with us today. I am. Yes, we're very excited. This is the, the inaugural live edition of the Reformed Brotherhood, so you don't know what you're going to get. We don't know what we're going to get. This is totally unscripted. It is. For sure. <laughs> totally unscripted. So, Mom, thanks for coming on the podcast. Happy to be here. Yes, we're very excited. So right now, we're in New Hampshire at my parents' house. There's like 1.6 million people in this house right now. How many people? <laughs> Two dogs, a bunch of people. There's yes. at least one shower running at every minute of the day yes that sounds about right so this really is a truly unscripted podcast it is this place runs like a well-oiled machine though people are in and out in the shower in like two and a half seconds well i don't know about that (laughs) more like 10 minutes yes we run on a strict 10 minute rule if you're in the shower for more than 10 minutes we kick the door open and throw ice cubes at you yeah it's just like there's a shower police they just come in and bust down the door everybody people everybody out of the shower we send the dogs in after you we we unleash the hounds they come and lick you until you can't stand it anymore i'm wondering where that was going (laughs) they lick your feet and they tickle you this is it's amazing this has already been great well that's been a great episode thanks everybody for listening We love this. Speaking of which, so what's on your mind, Tony, this week? What are we talking about? My mom's here. What are we talking about? Well, I figured this would be an awesome opportunity to talk about family. So we're gathered as a family. We gathered to celebrate the uh, Christmas holiday and just to see each other. So we have people in Pennsylvania. We have uh, you know, a contingency in New Hampshire. And so we don't get the opportunity to see each other face to face as often as we like. So today we're going to just unpack a little bit about um, kind of how God views families Um, And then we're just going to chat and just have a good time. So um, I want to read a little bit from the uh, Westminster Larger Catechism. Um, Starting, let's see here, where did it go? It's not a podcast unless the catechism comes out. It isn't. Yeah, so starting in question 123, uh, which is the section that they talk about the Ten Commandments. And it says, the fifth command, which is the fifth commandment? And the answer is, the fifth commandment is, honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God gives thee. Going on to question 124, who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? By father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in a place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. So what the Westminster uh, Catechism here is doing is it's showing us um, in a real straightforward fashion how uh, the family is really God's pattern for all of society. So it takes uh, the way that we're supposed to treat our parents particularly, and it says that same kind of respect you're supposed to show in a similar way to uh, the governing authorities. So uh, that's where it says civil magistrate. But also, even kind of prior to the church, it's saying that the, the way that you treat your parents are also the way you're supposed to honor your pastor and those in leadership in the church. And then it goes on to say, uh, it kind of flips the script and reverses it, So not only that, but the people who are in authority are supposed to govern the way that parents love and sacrifice for their children. So it's really uh, unfolding that the scripture shows us a pattern for how society and church is supposed to function. And we see Paul kind of tie into that in Ephesians when he talks about mutual submission. Um, Colossians, he talks about like uh, masters submitting to uh, their servants by being good to them and then servants submitting by being obedient. Husbands and wives, children's. And parents. Um, so that's kind of how the scripture treats the family. What do you think? Well, first of all, what is that? The Westminster? Larger Catechism. Okay, that's that. they said that pretty awesomely. But what kind of concerns me is you said that was what, 127? How many are there? The Larger Catechism has 
196 questions. Wow. That's, Just 196. That's, that's yes. some serious stuff right there. There's also a shorter catechism, which is designed for children to be memorizing it. Um, and I'm not sure off the top of my head how many that is. But 195. It's, it's a lot. <laughs> no, I think it's probably in the 90, 90 yeah, or 100 it's like 90, range. Yep. Yeah, mm -hmm. that well, that was like really well said, and then you gave a great follow up definition on it. So I'm for anything that um, makes you my children want to respect me all the more. So <laughs> maybe Perfect. we should have that cross stitched on the wall. There you go. I, I think I've got my Christmas present for next year. <laughs> the whole thing, the whole Westminster Catechism. You can get a poster that has the entire Book of Romans on oh. it for Mission Aware. Speaking of Mission Aware, this Christmas was sponsored in our family by Mission Aware. <laughs> my gosh. So uh, we need to hook, get the hook up here. Did you? So here's the thing that I was thinking about. This is not all that serious, but when did you all, when you learned, so I know this is the Fifth Commandment, they mentioned it's the Fifth Commandment. When I learned the commandments, the way to memorize them was to take the numbers and to make them into word pictures. And so this is the one in particular I've never forgotten because somebody told me the five looks like a puppy with its ears back in like submission. No, I'm just getting confused no. looks. Who told you this? <laughs> yeah. This didn't come from but, us. <laughs> but I never, that's that's what I always think of. And since there's like, again, puppies running all over there this house, puppies. it just seemed no. to be the kind that, of thing. That's just that, weird. That. So, so mom, do you find that that rings true, like with your experience? Because you're the one at the table here who's not only part of a family but is a parent and is about to be a grandparent. Yeah. Well, Congratulations. Well, Congratulations. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Uh, does it ring true? Yeah. I mean, so how how do you feel about you know Paul's description of the family as the unit by which you know all of society and life should be governed? Essentially, it's God's pattern. What, yeah. What is that? How do you well, I think that? that that makes perfect sense because God was the one who designed it. He started with family. He started with marriage, a man and a woman. So I think that makes perfect sense. Unfortunately, I think that's the furthest idea from our culture and society nowadays. So. Yeah, I think that's part of why I love Christmas so much. When you mentioned it before, is Christmas is a time of year where people, they start to think about their families. And you hardly ever see, other than like the occasional Christmas uh, movie where the point is that there's like a dysfunctional family where there's a divorced couple. Um, that's like a really prominent theme in a lot of Christmas movies. But usually when you see a family in a Christmas movie, it's like a traditional nuclear family. Even like mm -hmm. Elf, which is just this weird, crazy Christmas movie. Right there's still a nuclear family of a mother and a father and a child. And then this other kind of lost child who, who gets in some parts returned, but like adopted back into mm -hmm. the family too. Um, and I think this time of year is great because the whole culture at large is thinking about this topic that usually they want to be as far yeah, from their true. minds as they can. But I do think that that's probably going to be changing sometime in the near future. So yeah, yeah. but yep, that's true. Yeah. And you're starting to see that too. in a lot of movies, they're, they're shifting away from that, but Christmas movies, holiday movies in general sure seem to stick with that a lot longer. Yeah, there's something that we tend to like smuggle in the value of families at those times. So at the times when we know that we should be celebrating something and that there's something meaningful happen, we do want our families to be present. Even if we're trying to redefine what that family is, there's a sense that there should be a structure, this nucleus that happens at like the smallest level, that it's not governed by anything, that's governed by relationship and accountability mm -hmm. right. and respect. So yeah. A, a personal support system. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So it's one of those things that I think is is there we try to run from it but we keep coming back to it. it's the way that we portray mm -hmm. that god is in control that he has created a, a system and, and like you said we've seen a lot of that kind of go away yeah and, but i think like you say um to your point that 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 god creates us to desire that mm -hmm. and i think the sinfulness of man is that we're always pushing that away and want to recreate and redesign what god has told us is proper mm -hmm. but like you say there's something in in us that keeps driving us back to it yeah that's good stuff right there yeah we can't thank you for yeah. the endorsement Mom. yes yeah and we uh we haven't gotten to it yet we'll get to it i think probably in a couple months when we talk about creation but the the idea of family you mentioned it. adam and eve is the first family and their first real task is to make babies, right? So God is in from the very beginning is trying to set up this system that reflects how he intends for the whole world to, to operate is parents and their children working together and serving the Lord. Um, and then, you know, we, we'll talk about common grace. And that's one of those things that never really gets out of the culture. So even as we're trying to redefine the culture, you'll notice they, the, the sort of more liberal side of things struggles even to have language. Right. We talk, they talk about like, well, he has two mommies, but even the word mommy implies the created like, order. And so the opposite they, of that. Right. So they can't even talk about what's going on in their world without borrowing language from the, the way that God intends it to be. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, you just can't run from it. No matter how you try right. to catch it, you can't run right. from it. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's interesting. And in point of fact, the first fam the first family, not the US first family. <laughs> Sorry that as I said that I realized this is not a God's political podcast. Yeah, but, but God's first family is like super dysfunctional in its own way, of course. Yeah. Uh, so there's this all of this drama even in like the first, you know, seven chapters of the Bible. And I'm always struck by that, that I always think about, I think it was Thomas Merton who said like, we're not at peace. Man is not at peace with him, with his brothers and sisters because he's not at peace with himself. And he's at peace with himself because he's not at peace with God. Okay. And so the family does as well. Like, how does it provide, I mean, you have experience in terms of like, how does the family, you think, kind of provide the proper spiritual infrastructure in raising children and in marriage? That was a big question. Oh, I just I dropped on you. <laughs> Okay, that was deep. You're going to have to break that down a little bit. I don't know exactly what you're asking me. What What is what? I mean, so how do you think the family is, why do you think God designed the family to be like a, a spiritual superstructure? What is it about the family that helps us to know God, to, to love him and to serve others well? Well, I mean, God designed the family and, and marriage. I mean, marriage is a... Um, is a visual okay so this is what i always love to say about god that god is into details i i love that about god so he never creates something that he doesn't also provide us visual um tools to Mm -hmm. help us understand better what it is he's trying to do um so when god creates the family and and i would say Yes, God created families, husbands and wives to have to procreate and have children, but I think his first intention was to have a personal relationship with us. So that's his primary task is that each one of us he wants to have a personal relationship with us. But then the family is designed to help us better understand more about God and how he cares for us and how we should care for each other and to also define his character to us. I mean, he refers to himself as father. Why does he choose to refer himself that way? Because uh, that's important to him. So the family is designed, you know, father should be nurturing and caring, and he's the provider, and he's the overseer. Um, so I in the in the church is, is called the bride. So she's the, the wife. And Sorry about that. I tapped the microphone by mistake. It's all good. I'm Italian. I talk with my hands. It's all good. You know that. So I'll try to like curtail that a little bit, but uh, I might, my voice might get elevated and passionate then because I can't use my hands as much. Um, So yeah, I think the, the structure of the family is, is revealing to us about who God is as a person and what's important to him. And, and it gives us, um, a pattern to follow mm. and the pattern is good it's all good stuff mm. yeah does that answer your question that does answer all my right. question thank you very much so one of the things that just I've... channeled elvis presley for a second there. Yeah, sorry about that. it seems like that's happened multiple times since we've been here <laughs> one of the things that that reminds me of that i've grown to appreciate is sometimes family in particular like family interests but especially marriage especially among people my age can become its own hobby horse where we focus on marriage, and it's not that marriage is a bad thing or that we shouldn't want to love each other and to serve each other while in marriage, but we forget that, or we look at the, open up the scriptures and we say, isn't it funny how God is like marriage when really it's the other way around what you're saying. He's given us all these wonderful signs, but we sometimes take the shadow and we try to say, well, this is just like God, but really he's doing all these things. He's given us all these wonderful structures to impart something about himself. Right. And we got to get that directional stuff right. Yeah, absolutely. We shouldn't, we shouldn't, um, and not just because, but especially because our marriages, no matter how healthy they are, are really screwed up. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not a, not a perfectly healthy marriage on the planet because there's not a perfectly healthy person on the planet. Mine comes darn close. Yes. <laughs> For yes. sure. The closest we have is the Schwamm marriage here. Um, For sure. Yes. But I mean, it, it's true though, is that, we have these broken, uh, fallible pictures of what you know God's union with the church is, um, but we have to absolutely be careful not to uh, take that too far, or we start to import the brokenness of of human marriage into right. that. So you know you have it happens with the word father too. Is you have people who had really terrible mm-hmm. fathers growing That's up, true. abusive fathers, yep. domineering fathers, um, and then they look at the scriptures and they see passages where the the father is exercising appropriate paternal discipline and they go, I don't want any part of that. And I think that happens with marriages too. And I think we also, you know, like you said, like marriage is a good, great thing, 
but it's not everything. There are lots of people who are single and they're going to be single for their whole lives. And those people can just as um, fully image God because he's called them to a certain a certain vocation, which includes being single. Um, they're not somehow like substandard Christians because they're not married. Um, and I think, too, that that's where the church comes in. Right. We have this family and the family is a picture of the, the society at large, but it's also a picture of the church where you have some people in a family who, who everybody in the family fills a different role. And those roles aren't usually assigned. Um, mm-hmm. Right. There's not like somebody who's picking things. We joke around about how in this family, uh, you know, there's there's a finance person there's a musical person. I do all the tech support. Um, Jen does the cooking. But it really it really does work that way. Right. We have mm-hmm. everybody kind of fits into a role that they have been built for. And God has interwoven those families together in order to bring those, you know, that perfect picture of the church, not perfect, but that picture of the church, which also functions that way together. Right. Well, I think that, that God takes the, like you saying, there's no perfect, I like to say there's no perfect family. Right. Amen. Um, and there's no, because there's no perfect people. If, I always say to the ladies in my Bible study, if we were perfect, where would we be? In heaven. So we haven't achieved that yet. That doesn't mean that God doesn't want us to strive for that. And by perfect, we're really meaning holiness, that God wants us to strive for holiness. So I don't know where I was going. <laughs> I had a really good point, but I kind of got detoured there yeah. for a moment. <laughs> I just like the beginning. I thought the beginning was a point, and then it sounded like a threat. Like, if you were perfect, where would you be? In heaven. <laughs> What, wait, what did you just say to bring me back? Oh, you don't, don't even remember. It's <laughs> right, all good. It was a good point. I'm sure it was. It'll come it's, back. It's gonna, it always loops it's, around. It's going to come oh, back. Oh, I think I was going to say, but God takes, this is the amazing thing about God. One of the amazing things about God is he takes that brokenness and that imperfection that we have and all the sin that we bring because, you know, what is a marriage? A marriage is just two individual people who were not initially together, have come together, and they bring with them different backgrounds, different, maybe sometimes different cultures, uh, different perspectives, and they bring different baggage. And everybody brings baggage of some sort because we all wrestle with sinful issues in our lives. And then they come together and form this marriage. But what I think is great is that God still takes all of those imperfections and he uses them if we're willing in our lives to change us, to restructure us, to mold us into being more like Christ and can take all the places where we have brokenness and make them beautiful things. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, we don't just see God in all the good aspects of our marriage. We can see God in all the bad aspects of our marriage. And what I mean by that is that we can see God's mercy and grace and compassion through those things. So the good and the bad all work together mm-hmm. to make us, hopefully, if we're submitting and we're willing to make us more like Jesus, which it should be the goal to have a personal relationship with Jesus. Whether you're single or whether you're married, all of that works together to have us be in more harmony with with God. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, and I think um, to kind of tie the the marriage analogy in Scripture and the family analogy in Scripture together is it's not just two people coming together. It's two families coming together. So um, it reminds me in um, 1 Peter 2, um, starting in verse 9, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people... But now you are a people once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what Peter's saying there is that you have this group of people who aren't connected to each other. And then in Christ, they become a people. So it's, you know, there's a lot in scriptures about Jews and Gentiles. And Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility being broken down in Ephesians. But what the picture is, is that this this group of disparate, unconnected people suddenly are a chosen nation. There's a unity there. And I think about, you know, we, we were a little bit surprised. My mother, who lives in Minnesota, we were a little surprised to see a postcard show up at the house here. And it was it was awesome. And it was really That's cool funny. to suddenly suddenly remember. It's not like we didn't know it, but to suddenly remember that my mom is part of this family. 
and mm-hmm. Jen's parents are part of this family. Right. And we have this this family that grows the same way or a similar way that the church grows, right? People become united to Christ in sort of that marriage analogy. And as they become united to Christ, they also become united to us. So this interwoven picture of the family and the church and the state and all of these different things, they all tie together in, in surprising ways that are just really beautiful, if you ask me. Yeah, that's extending the family even further. So it's like I'm, I'm intimately involved with the people in my home church, my local church, but then there's the universal church. So maybe the people in the town over from me that I'm friends with don't go to the same church, but they're still my brother and sister in right. the Lord. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. And we have more in common with those people than our, like, so we would have more in common, with, say, like with the church in Africa who is worshiping the Lord than with our non-believing neighbors yeah so there's something to be said for having a cognizant mind about that which is why as believers we often pray for other christians in other lands especially who might be undergoing some sort of a trial or tribulation because we can identify with them Mm -hmm. we we are family we we don't know them personally and intimately but we are connected to them through the blood of christ yeah Yeah. because i think go ahead I think I think that happens. um, We we very often forget that. And I think that, you know, kind of to our our shame as a church is we do get kind of isolated in our own little pockets of the body of Christ. And sometimes we forget. So I, I love we have you know, we have this corporate time of prayer every Sunday where not only does the local congregation call out prayer requests, but in our bulletin, there's also almost every mm-hmm. week there's a specific story that the pastor has looked up, who's our our father and um, mom's husband, obviously, who's looked up and has been keeping track of what's going on in the church in other parts of the world. Oftentimes, it's persecution, um, or it's you know uh, something that happens, uh, a natural disaster that happens, and we remember to pray for that part of the church um, fervently. The same way, if you know somebody. Um, there was a tornado that went through Pennsylvania and one of our family members was injured or they were experiencing a hardship because of that, um, we would pray for that person. And we would probably give of ourselves, we might go down there or we might send um, care packages or financial resources. Um, Again, just another way that we see our natural instincts towards our family should in part inform how we think about the rest of the church. And there is a natural instinct when when it comes to your natural family because we give each other a, a really hard time. We like to joke around. But obviously, if somebody else... Well, we, we don't give each other a hard time. We tease each other. There's a difference. <laughs> <laughs> Giving somebody a hard time. Like, we, we tease each other. I, I always say, if, if, if our family draws you in and we're teasing you, that means we love you. That's, yeah. That's just the right. way we demonstrate Yeah, that's, that's yeah. fair. So we give each other a hard time. <laughs> and one, but one of the things... I think Jesse's going to get a hard time tonight. Yeah, one of the things about that, we can never turn the microphone off now. One of the things about that is we have this sensibility that when it's in our own family, there's certain ways we can behave toward one another because there's this space of love and respect. But if somebody from the outside tries to tease or give somebody a hard time, it's a totally, have a totally different response. It's visceral almost. And in the same way, that's how we should feel about, of course, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. It's... People will say, well, I don't feel a natural connection. And, and you have a greater one that is a supernatural connection mm-hmm. to that family. That is important. But part of that is, like you guys have been saying, is being aware of that. Actually immersing yourself, understanding that God has given us this family that is deep and broad and very, very large. And to suffer alongside with them, and even even if that's really just in prayer, in deep prayer for their mm-hmm. strength and their needs. So, yeah, I'm with you. It's one of those things to suffer. Although I will say this one time... One time I was following dad in the car to go take the vehicle to the shop. You remember this? It was in the winter and I skated off the road. I was following behind him. I skated off the road. He just drove off. <laughs> that doesn't surprise me. Dad kind of acts like he's in his own little world sometimes. Yeah. Just, I always say to him, turn the page, Kev. Yeah. Just left me. So, um, <laughs> well, maybe that was intentional. He wanted you to learn how that, to that dig yourself. Yeah, that was a lesson? Yeah, he wanted you to learn how to yeah. dig What is that in, in uh, Hebrews where it says, oh, a father disciplines, a child who's not disciplined is not legitimate, but a father disciplines something along those lines. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was something you're, like that. You're pretty like, legit. Yeah, you're stuck in a snowbank. Welcome to the family. Yes. So, yeah, but I agree. That's I think that the family is one of the things we don't often think about in really deep terms in terms of like, because the thing is, a lot of people I hear when they talk about their families, they're complaining about their families most of the time. And uh, that's the great thing is that we don't get to choose our families in the same way that, you know. Well, yeah, I think I always like to say, 
God doesn't make mistakes. He doesn't make mistakes with families. He gave certain children and certain parents to each other intentionally. Mm. And otherwise, you, I like that. yeah, so you can't go around saying, oh, I don't like my brother, or I don't like my mother, or I don't like my father, or whatever, because that's who God designed you to have a family relationship with. So maybe there's some things there that you need to focus on working through, but you can't just disregard them, that God does not make mistakes. And there's kind of a nice finality and definitiveness about that, because in our world, we like to be able, whether it's our appearances or our lifestyle, to be able to change. We think we have freedom to change anything, but you can't change who your parents are. Yeah. You can, as much as you'd like to, you can't redefine that relationship because you can you can go and try. But at the end of the day, there is something definite about that. And this means that God is in control. Yeah. It ultimately points back to the fact that he is sovereign over all things. And that there are some things we, as much as we'd like to be free, to have our own complete autonomy, to do whatever we want, to change who we are and where we come from and what we're like, there are some things that we just can't, again, run away from, that God exercises that sovereignty. Yeah. So. Yeah, and he, he really uses, um, I, I think, so I think the marriage relationship that you have with your spouse is, this, in my, my mind, is the single most sanctifying relationship you'll be in. They're the person that's around you all the time. They know your weaknesses. They know your strengths. They know how to fight dirty. They know how to hurt you. Um, but they also know how to help you. And so God puts us in those relationships to really sanctify us. But I think secondary to that, um, and, and you know, it kind of can go back and forth, but our family really is the, the crucible that God uses to mm -hmm. sanctify us. Yes. And that, again, mimics the church or the church mimics that, whichever way it goes, is that God puts you in a specific place with a specific people um, to grow you into who he desires you to be. And sometimes that you grow and develop in ways that you would never expect. So right. there's there's parts of my life that if you were to ask me seven years ago before I entered this whole crazy party that we call the Schwamm family, um, that I was going to develop a certain way, I would have laughed at you. I would have thought you were totally wrong. But then all of a sudden, God you know, takes me out of Minnesota, puts me in Boston, and introduces me to this girl at a picnic. And my whole life changes trajectories. And that's an amazing this really thing. really nice girl. Yes. Really cute. She's amazing. She's very, the best. Very adorable. Um, you're welcome. Yes. Yeah. I don't know you what you had to do. I don't know. You have nothing to do I, with I that. I just feel like I'm part of it. I will say yes. you're welcome. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and I'm thankful for that every day. But but. God puts us in these ways and, and that extends to our church, right? The church that I'm in, I never would have pictured myself in a small kind of country church. It's not like rural, super rural, but compared to what I was used to in city churches, it's a very different feel. It's a very different um, context. And I never would have thought that that was the direction my life would have gone. But I, looking back at it, I wouldn't change a single thing about it. Um, even when I think like, oh, well, it might be must be nice to be part of a big church with all these programs. There's never a point that I would say, but I would trade that. I would never trade that for what I have. Um, That's because God's plan is always the best. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And we everything don't... that we can always imagine or even have expectations of, God always surpasses right. that. Mm -hmm. Always. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and when we look back on it, we can see how God moved those pieces. You know, a lot of times we think about God as a chess player, which isn't a great analogy, but when you when you know how to play chess, and I don't really know chess in and out, but when you know, you can look at how the game unfolds. Right. And a really good chess player, you can trace everything that person's done back to the very beginning to the first move. And God is this master strategist. Um, obviously, sovereignty kind of blows up the analogy but he moves us in these directions and the spirit blows where he will and changes and, and directs us in ways that we don't understand that looking back at it it just should just drive us to our knees to praise yes, god for absolutely. the good work that he's done um, in our lives to bring us to where we are and then to look forward with anticipation to what he has in store for us you know in the future and i still feel like i'm sure you guys would agree with me but i still feel like i'm growing through that like my parents continue to teach me a lot about what it means to love the Lord and to follow him closely and to move through suffering or disappointment and to rejoice in all things and to be thankful. And, you know, it's the end of the year, so I'm feeling kind of, you know, introspective. And I think this year I've learned a lot and I continue to. So yeah. I, that's just like a really fantastic thing about the family is that we continue to learn from each other. And there's like new things like the family, like when you marry somebody, there's people who say like, well, I don't want to marry this person because I don't know everything about them. And it's, of course, impossible to do that because I don't know what kind of 
a mother my wife is going to be. I don't know what kind of grandmother she's going to be. I don't know how we're going to handle situations together. And so my brother's about to have his first child. It's the first grandchild, right, mm-hmm. in the family. We mm-hmm. should celebrate. Yeah. And, uh, you know, this is new territory for me, mainly because my name is Jesse and I'm about to be a full house character. <laughs> so... <laughs> You know, we're going to learn from each other. It just never stops. But it is good to know that the lessons that God is giving are the lessons that God is giving. Yeah. Yeah, because as as families grow, they're changing and they're learning new things and new stages and experiences. So, for example, I've never been a grandmother before, so I'm looking forward to that. But I know that's going to be like a new learning curve for me. Um, But what's great about family is when there's multiple generations like that, because I'm still learning things in my life, but I've learned a lot more than I knew when I was your age. So it's great to have different age generations mm. as part of a family. Um, you know, just like my mother-in-law is like 80, I think she just turned 87, or she's turning 87. Um, and she still will say things that yeah. are amazing to me that that I haven't quite grasped yet. Do you yeah. know what I'm saying? I do know what you're saying, because grandma's yeah. awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I have a great mother-in-law. Yes. The best. Yeah, and I mean, that. that um, I think that's a good lesson for us, too, is, you know, you're right. This time of year is sort of built for introspection. We're looking back to last year. We're thinking about, the you know, the family gatherings from last year, and then we're looking forward to the new year coming up. We might make some resolutions and stuff. But I know for me, you know, you mentioned suffering. We'll have to do a podcast, an episode on suffering sometime. But um, I like to think about it and say, well, when I face a difficult situation— I can either be the Israelites who died in the desert because they grumbled and complained mm-hmm. and they weren't obedient, or I can remember that God has something for me, right? So Joshua, when he comes into the promised land, he comes in and he, he doesn't say, oh, everything's hunky-dory. He recognizes right. that there's these giants. He recognizes that there's going to be a difficult transition into the into the promised land. But he says, God has promised us this land. And so there's a there's a good land waiting for us, and all we have to do is step forward in the plan that God has for us. The rest of the Israelites said, "Well, wait a second, this is going to be really hard. Let's just go back to Egypt." And they all died in the desert, right? The whole generation died in the desert. Um, okay, you just mixed up two generations: Joshua's generation and Moses' generation. So Moses' generation died in the desert, but you said Joshua was leading them into. Because when Joshua led the people in, they were obedient. Right. I'm talking about when the spies went into the into the promised land. Two sets of spies. Which the one? first, the, the set that Joshua was part Let's of. Let's be clear, because we're mixing them up a little. Right. So, so there was the generation. The first forty days happens. Right. They go pretty much, pretty much. They go to, to Mount Horeb. They get the law, and then they go pretty much straight to uh, the promised land. Yeah. They send in the twelve spies, and Joshua and Caleb come back and say, "We can do this. God's got a good land for us. He's promised us this right. land." step forward and do it. The rest of the spies come back and convince the people that they need to flee. And they start grumbling and complaining. And that begins this pattern where God starts to pick people off. They die in these plagues. The fiery serpents come. All these different things come and take away the people who were not obedient to the promise. Mm -hmm. And so when I look at a a trial in my life, I I say, you know, and I don't want to like narcissist myself into the text right that's a historical account it's not there for me to pick up my five stones and slay my giants in my life but somebody else's mail right but there's a principle there that um that god says look i've got a plan and you if you're obedient to my plan there's blessings right that's not a workspace principle that's just reality god wants to do good things for his people and he wants to bring us into the you know the proverbial promised land that he has for us ultimately that's a type of Christ that we we dwell in Christ and we dwell in in God's presence in the end times in the new kingdom, but you know suffering, and, and when I look at other families, every family has some sort of issue that they're struggling through and they're working through, um, and I know like our family we just we just push through like we we recognize our difficulties, we come together when there's something going on, we pray for each other, we do every kind of practical thing we can, and we push forward. Um, well, I think the, the root of what you're talking about is just trusting God, right. that you're always trusting him. And one of the, the things about life is life is difficult because we live in a fallen world and we live in imperfect bodies. So whether we're dealing with something physically, emotionally, mentally, um, it's all about trusting God through that process. And one of the great things that, that God is always doing for us, and I think that we don't often initially look at it this way 
um, whenever there's a new trial or tribulation, that is an opportunity for God to prove himself to us again. Sure. And when we get to the next trial and tribulation, the thing we should most be willing to do is look back at the last one and say, well, God was faithful, so he'll be faithful again. It's all about a trust issue. If, do we trust God or do we trust in our own resources? Right. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, Man, we are going to group hug this so hard when this recording is done. Are you guys feeling it? Yes. Yeah. Let's go to some funny stories. Not nearly exciting. Yeah, let's do that. Oh, do you have a story, Mom? That, no, like, off the top of my head, In, in no. particular, that like you think is a funny story about our family besides, again, my father just leaving me on the side of the road when I'm doing him a favor, trying to follow him to pick up the... The car? I've got lots of funny stories, but you'd have to like head me in a certain direction. What about the one? So, Tony is obviously married to my sister, your daughter. What about the one in terms of her actual naming as a baby? Oh my! Do you want to tell that story? <laughs> tell that story. That's a great. This story. is the story your father wishes I would forget. And now um, it'll be on the internet forever. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let me just skip a little background. So I had uh, three sons. And then we were pregnant with our fourth child. And all of my children had to be born by C-section. Um, so when we were getting ready to have Ashley, we um, had only had Zachary 13 months before that. So Ashley was, we're just going to say it, she was our surprise baby. We were going to have another one, but she came a lot sooner than we were expecting. <laughs> I'm not sure I really knew that. I cannot, <laughs> oh, really? I cannot wait for this to end and to go downstairs. This is going to be amazing. <laughs> she is the surprise package. So um, we could really not agree on a name. But if Zachary had been a girl, he was going to be Ashley Heather. So my husband kept going back to that name. But, you know, I was like, I had moved on. New baby, new name. So I had in mind Sophia, Isabella, or Gabriella. All very European-sounding names. And I really, he just didn't like any of those names. And he particularly didn't like any of the nicknames that went with the names. So he was really resisting me on that, and which is kind of out of context for him because he's pretty easy going but I've learned with my husband over the years that when he does dig his heels in about something he's pretty you know animate about how he feels about it so I try to acquiesce to that because he's pretty he's a pretty tolerant patient compassionate very kind he's he's just really nice person <laughs> he's a really nice person yes. I always say I, I want to be more like him after Jesus I want to be more like him um, so anyway, as we're heading into the um, OR, so they get you, they have to get you all prepped for surgery and stuff. And in those days, nobody ever taped uh, the birth of a C-section. That that's when video cameras had mm. just come out, where people could buy them, and they were huge. They looked like television yeah. cameras. They were big, and someone had said to us, "Hey, we have a video camera that you could borrow. Would you like to tape?" You, you this know, would the never happen now. Yeah, they, would you like to tape the baby's birth? And we were like, oh, wow, that sounds incredible. Just let me get in there with my camera <laughs> yeah, real quick. Yeah, yeah. so um, we, we, when we were getting prepped for surgery, you know, they send in the anesthesiologist, and he has to talk to you and tell you what's going to happen, and then they send in your doctor. And so we had said to the doctor, hey, we have this camera that someone lent us, and we're wondering if it's okay if we could tape the C-section. And that freaked them out. No one had ever asked to tape a, a C-section before. And he was like, oh, I, I don't know. We've never done that before. I, I'd have to go around and ask everybody in that OR room if they're willing to agree to that. And we were like, okay, go ahead and ask him. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I think he was trying to like deter us. And we were like, you just do the asking and let us know. So he went around. He talked to the anesthesiologist, talked to all the OR nurses. He had to talk to the pediatrician. These are all the people. Like, you don't realize when you're having a C-section, there's like a whole crowd of people in there. You have to be totally okay with that because the first time they wheeled me in, I was like, whoa, who are all these people? <laughs> um, so he asked everybody. He came back and he said, okay, so here's the scoop. Everybody's okay with you taping, but you have to wait until we say, okay, put the camera on. And then if we ask you to turn it off, you have to turn it off. Now, 
in hindsight, when we were reflecting on this, we figured out the reason was like, if anything were to have gone seriously wrong, we had that on film. Right. So it's they, a liability it's issue. a liability issue for them. And you could see, I mean, it would work in our favor, but it wouldn't work in their favor. So we were like, yeah, that's, that's fine. We don't have any problem with that. We'll put, okay. So they, they will, you know, they get the mother in first and they hook her up to all these monitors and everybody's in there. And then they let the father come in and he has all his scrubs on. And this is, my husband's been through three other C-sections. So this is like, not a big deal. So he was reading a book over in the corner. You know, he wasn't reading a book, but he, he, he was like, it was old hat for him. So he sits on a, a stool right next to my head and there's a big sheet up in front of me. So I can't see any of the surgery, but my husband can see everything. And, um, he had the camera and now I'm, so there's, I'm combining two stories here. This is the whole story of how she got named as well as like what happened here. So, um, two weeks afterwards I'm at home and I'm watching, I want to watch the video. I thought, oh, you know, I want to watch the video of the baby's birth. So I get out, put the video in, and you you can I can remember being in the OR and hearing the doctor say to to dad, "Okay, get the camera ready." I can remember hearing him say that. Then I heard him say to dad, "Okay, you can start taping." And now I'm watching the video. And keep in mind that these, everyone in the OR, they always ask you while they're getting you ready, they try to make small talk with you to distract you. And they asked how many children we had and what we had. And we said, oh, we have three sons at home. So when they did the C-section and removed the baby, they said, it's a girl. And everybody in the OR was very excited because they knew that we had three boys. So here I'm watching the tape and you can see me and you can hear me now in the background going, Thank you, Jesus, Jesus, thank you, Jesus. It's a girl, thank you, Jesus. Yeah. But you don't see any baby. You see the doctor's booties that he puts on over his shoes, and then the camera pans up, and you see the ceiling, and then it swings around the room, and you see the clock and the nurses. And it's like I said, I called my husband, and I said, Kevin, Kevin, come, what, what is this? And he's like, I don't know. He said, they said it was a girl and I just went crazy. <laughs> so there was really no video of the baby being born. That's adorable. He finally got some shots when then the pediatrician takes the baby over to make sure that the baby wasn't harmed in any way from the surgery. And then they weigh her and stuff. So he actually got some shots then. But the whole big thing of taping the baby <laughs> being born was a complete waste of time. There was never any, right. never happened. But the thing about her name is, so I, after having the C-section, I was then, the surgery was a long time and they put me to sleep. So as they were wheeling me down the hall, the nurses are always trying to wake you up. And what you have to remember is that we could not agree on a name. So we, the way I had left it with him is, okay, we just can't agree on a name. I'm, I really don't want the name Ashley because that was more like I was thinking of for Zachary. We'll talk about this after the baby's born and see what we think she looks like. And as they're wheeling me from the OR to my room, the nurses always try to get you to wake up as fast as you can because it's good for you. And one nurse kept pinching my foot and I was trying so hard to wake up. And she's like, come on, Mrs. Strom, do it. You can do it. Wake up. And she's pinching my foot. And I'm thinking, I wish that woman stopped pinching my foot. I wanted <laughs> to give her a big kick. Yeah, I wanted to give her a big kick. And then she comes over and she's smacking my cheek. And she's like, come on, Mrs. Strom, wake up. And I'm thinking, oh, when I wake up, I have a word or two for you, lady. And then she said to me, if you wake up and now and turn your head to the right, we're passing the nursery and you can see the baby. And I was like, well, what mother does not want to see her baby? And that really made me wake up. And I turned my head so groggily. Is that a word? Groggly? <laughs> it is now. It is now. <laughs> so groggy. I turned my head to the right. And as we're passing the nursery, I could see her bassinet. And they usually just have baby schwam. And all over the bassinet, not in one place, but three places, it said Ashley Heather Schwamm. Ashley Heather Schwamm, Ashley Heather Schwamm. And I, that really woke me up. And I said, whoa, what, who, who named the baby? And she goes, oh, your husband named her and he already signed the birth certificate, so it's legally done. I was like, what the, I couldn't believe it. So he named her, to this day, we still have debates about how he, heard me or didn't hear me say, <laughs> let's wait and name the baby. So he named Juke Ju. He named what? He named Juke Ju. Like he just stepped in, swooped he in, just named her. Did it. Yeah, well I was sleeping. Yeah, well I was <laughs> drugged up and out of it. Sleeping. He, and he, he never did that with any of the other babies. 
he filled out the birth certificate. And you know that once it's filled out, it's legal. They can't just go right. and tear that up. And I know that for a fact because when my parents named me, they actually had named me Heather Laureen Vaughton. And then a month after I was born, they decided, thank God, they decided they didn't like that name. Oh, no offense to any Laureens that might be out there. <laughs> I don't think that's going to be a problem to with all the Laureens. All the Laureens listening are like, to what? this podcast going, what? Yeah, Unsubscribe. No, yeah. shout out to the Laureens. <laughs> <laughs> they then went in and changed my name to Heather Lee, which I do like that. Heather Lee Vaughton. But they had to get... Uh, an addendum to that so like if I ever ever have to go somewhere where I need to take my birth certificate I have to take the original birth certificate which is Heather Laureen and I have to take the addendum which is also an official document with a seal on it that says Heather Lee and take all those with me if I need to take so when we went to on our honeymoon to Mexico back then you did not need a passport mm -hmm. you just needed a birth certificate to you could get in nobody cared if you went into Mexico <laughs> it was all about coming out they were like yeah send the masses we don't care we want their money send them <laughs> but to get out of Mexico back into the United States you had to show your birth certificate mm -hmm. and so I had just gotten married so I actually had three documents with me it had to say Heather Lorraine Vaughton Heather Lee Vaughton and Heather Lee Schwamm I had to take three documents. So we got into Mexico, phew, no, fine, no problem. But getting out, they make you go through customs and there's like this big customs room with like, there was like, uh, reminded me like a checkout at a grocery store, like belts that you mm -hmm. had to put your stuff down on. And there was like five or six lines in this room. It was very, very noisy. There were some people with guns standing there. So it's like slightly intimidating. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little bit. And, with guns yeah, standing there. And my husband was ahead of me and he got a little bit separated from me in the crowd. And he, so there were like two people between us. He checked out just fine. And then upstairs, there was this room, like a balcony room with all glass where people could go and stand up there and watch the people down below. And he had gone up there because they detained me. They were confused by the three documents. Mm. I think they thought like I was... Jason Bourne. Yeah, I was trying to smuggle, <laughs> smuggle drugs out or something. So, like, I'm looking up at him, like, what the heck? You left me down here. I'm sensing I'm a trend be, here. I'm there is a be trend. In Mexico yeah. Forever. I had that same feeling on the side of a road. Yeah. <laughs> that happens every time yeah. we go anywhere with that. I think. Yeah. We were at the I, play I the other night. Dad and he did that. Intentionally means to do that. I think he just gets like I say. He gets like he should have a theme song run through his head for his life. He, his own little theme song, like, oh, this is Kevin's world, da, da, da. Because I think he just gets caught in what's going on, and he just keeps pushing forward, and then you're like, what the heck, I can't, I'm here. <laughs> yeah, so I, I can still remember, like it was yesterday, looking up at him, and he's just looking at me like, yeah, it was taking you so long. And I'm like, they're going to arrest me and take me to a Mexican jail. Come back for me. <laughs> yeah. So. so for all of our Mexican listeners, name Maureen. <laughs> yeah, shout yeah. out to the Mexicans. <laughs> we, we, love, we love you. We love you very much. Well, this has exceeded, once again, all of my expectations for where this conversation could have gone. Thanks, Mom, for coming on the podcast. Oh, it was fun yeah. and, and intimidating. <laughs> You've done so well. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just take this minute to say that we appreciate our mother and we appreciate, especially yes, at Christmas time, all that she does to make the house welcoming, to clean up, to buy us gifts and wrap them. We do this tradition with um, with stockings and we all get tons of presents in our stockings. I can't even imagine how long it takes to wrap that. So thank you for everything you thank do you at the holidays welcome. and all year round, really, yes. uh, but especially now. So before we go, uh, it'd be good for us to just put like maybe one practical thing in place for us as we think about how do we interact with our families. So what's what's a practical thing we can do that will help us take what we've talked about today and kind of put some rubber on the road with it? All right, I'll go first. So here's what I would recommend and suggest is um, do one thing today, say one thing to somebody in your family, especially if it's a parent uh, and they're around. Uh, tell them how much they they mean to you and what, how, now I'm getting all like tongue-tied because my mother's <laughs> staring me down. She's right next to me. I'm also thinking she almost got left in an international dispute. So I didn't. I wasn't aware of that story. This has been you a learning experience for all of us. That doesn't make That's any sense. That's not how it works. That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> oh, How's man. your Spanish? <laughs> That's not the least comfortable part of that story <laughs> for me. 
so my recommendation is to, to show to show some love and appreciation for your parents in, in words or in written form. But to go, I think one of the best things we can do is we so often just take advantage of our families. We do appreciate them, but we seldom show that we really do love them and cherish them, and they ought to know that. So that's what I would say. Do that today. Just don't put it off any longer. Call somebody. Call your parents. Send them a note. Do that right now. Or as you like to say, if you're here, bring it in, Mom, and then you give me a big hug. <laughs> hug it out, people. Bring it in. <laughs> hug it out. Do you want to go next, Mom? Do you have something? Oh, something practical about families? Yeah. Hmm. I would say that it's very easy to criticize and um, at times be difficult or be focused on yourself. I think with families, family requires a lot of self-sacrifice. Mm. So sometimes we need to step outside of our own little world and you know what's going on with us. And we need to say, what can I do to um, demonstrate sacrifice and love to others within my family because I think those examples are really important mm -hmm. so make a make do something sacrificially that really says a lot yeah, yeah that's that. great that's a good example and I think for mine kind of tying into that is just like we talked about like everybody sort of fills a specific role in their family and we all fill gaps that our family members have, whether that's in skills or whether that's kind of emotional gaps where, you know, people fit into different kinds of roles and, you know, well, this person's a peacemaker, this person is is the go-getter or the initiator or whatever. But recognize that you're a part of a family and be willing to pull your weight, do your part. Um, and that, you know, just thinking about that is is something I think would all help us to to integrate with our families and recognize how that ties into how we serve the church as well and how we serve Jesus through the church and in the church. Mm. I think that means Tony's going to be doing dishes tonight. <laughs> that's, Maybe. that's pulling uh, your weight right there. I was almost Mexican. Yes, so. that's true. <laughs> you could have been married to a Mexican. I don't think that's how it works. I mean, I could have been married to a Mexican, but yeah. I don't, not, not Ashley. Ashley could not ever have been As Mexican. As you said, God's plan is the best plan. Yes. That's so, right. So yes. that's right on. All right. Well, thanks for, again, for coming on, Mom. Yeah. Do this again me. sometime. This has been great. All right. See you next week. Uh,